Welcome, welcome, welcome. I can't believe it's almost Easter. A couple of weeks away, Easter is the 21st of April. We have invite cards. I know you've heard about them already, but please make sure that you take a stack. We've got them divided into stacks of five. Take as many stacks as you need. We've got a couple of thousand cards, and we've got 69,000 people in our county that need to hear about Jesus. All right, so if, when you leave today, our First Impression team, they've got bundles of, uh, in fives, and take them with you. I've already got them in my pocket for when I go to lunch today. And uh, where I go this week, everywhere I go, I'm going to be handing out cards, inviting people. Invite your neighbors. Invite the people at the gym. Invite everybody. Because it just might be the Sunday that, that your friend that you invite comes to know Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. Man, baptism this morning, singing the paint off the walls. What a great, great day to serve and worship Jesus. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part. God is so good. And uh, we're just thankful that you chose to be with us today. If you're a guest, welcome again. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, we're in a series in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start with chapter 6 this morning. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Uh, we're praying for all the, a lot of employees of Lowe's. They're facing some transitions, maybe having to move or either commute back and forth. And that involves a lot of our people. And so we've already been praying for you and that the Lord would give you wisdom and guidance and peace in, in the transition in this time. The message this morning is don't waste your life. I'd like for all of you this week, if you can, just go to YouTube and Google John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. There's some short clips of it for five or six, eight minutes. Or you can watch the full, about an hour-long message. It's a fantastic message about investing your life for all of eternity. And so this morning, we're talking about not wasting your life. And we come to Acts chapter 6, where some problems develop in the church. And chapter 7, where we face the first martyr who was stoned. And his name was? Some of you church people know him. His name is Stephen. First deacon that was appointed to serve God. And uh, right on his first detail, in his first message, he was stoned. So I've got a question for you. How many of you have ever been stoned? No, not that kind of stone, Todd. Okay. (laughs) If God saved you, he's called you out of that life, and uh, we've put that behind us. We don't glory in those days anymore. Thank God for freedom, like Pastor Brian preached last week, from the chains of addiction of alcohol and cigarettes and drugs and sexual immorality and pornography. God's set us free, and we're so thankful for that. Well, Pastor Brian told us last week that he's been jailed Uh, for not doing wrong many times because he had family in the jail uh, in the law enforcement uh, business and some of his friends would lock him up and leave him there for a while. So I thought, well, how in the world can I top that story? And I want to tell you this morning that I have been stoned a number of times. And again, not recreationally stoned in different ways. It started out when I was a little baby my dad was in the Air Force. He was working out of the Pentagon and, uh, up in, uh, in Alexandria, Virginia. And I was a colicky baby. And I was crying, about to drive my mom crazy. 
And one day she fell down the steps with me. Now she says it was an accident. <laughs> but it was my first uh, exposure to head trauma, okay, as a little baby. Now Brian probably knows where I'm going with this. I went camping this weekend with my son and Brian wondered if he needed to prepare to preach because of my history with head trauma. So my first one was a tumble down the stairs as a little child. The next one, I was literally in a tug of war with my neighbors. Uh, Frankie and Steve were my neighbors. They were brothers. He was a little older than me. Steve was a little younger than me. And I was in a tug of war, and the, the line was the driveway, the gravel driveway. And so I was pulling against Frankie and Steve for all I was worth, and they were pulling against me. And somehow I managed to win that. Did I mention that Frankie and Steve were girls? No, I'm kidding. And I managed to win the tug of war. And, but what I didn't realize is I had dragged the little guy, Steve, I dragged him through the rocks. And that made his big brother, Frankie, really mad at me. So he grabbed a big stone and threw it with all he was worth and hit me right here in the middle of the head. He was a good shot. He could have made the story of David and Goliath, I think. So my mom wrapped my head in a towel and took me to the hospital, and that was... Another opportunity for stitches in this region of my body. Some of you are getting to see the picture of why I am like I am. So there was a tumble, there was a tug of war, and then there was a transmission. This is, this is one of the most traumatic. Joanna and I, we got married November 1st, 1980, and we moved to Buffalo, New York. Where I had been living for a few months while she was preparing to get married back in our home state of North Carolina in Reedsville. And so I went down, we got married, and we were making our way back up to uh, Buffalo, New York, where we had a ministry going, and to Niagara Falls to finish off our honeymoon over the falls. And so we had a lot of time there in New York. Well, eight weeks after this honeymoon, my in-laws came up to visit, and that, that went okay. But I had a 65 Mustang. How many of you know what a 65 Mustang is? It was really the coolest car I ever had. It wasn't a real beefy one, but it was still cool. And it was yellow. And I know that's not the most manly color. But anyway, it was a cool car, 1965. And the, the transmission went out on it just a few weeks after we got married. My wife had a little white Mercury Bobcat. So I took my father-in-law. We took the transmission out, put it in the back of this Mercury Bobcat, it was a hatchback. So we laid it in the back, and we headed to, on Christmas Eve, eight weeks after we were married, we headed to the junkyard to swap out these transmissions. Well, it was snowing to beat the band, as it often is in Buffalo, New York, and I had this white vehicle and a, a fry meat truck, big old dual truck, just pulled out right in front of me. I was going about 45 miles an hour. I just All I remember is lifting my foot to hit the brakes, and then the lights went out. I found up later when I woke up, and one of the Lord was good. He had a buddy that we'd only been there eight weeks, a buddy from the church. Uh, he was the first one to show up on the scene. And, he, and I woke up, I came to, and he said, hey, are you all right, Dennis? Are you all right? And I go, yeah, because he was always joking with me about being a college grad. And I said, yeah, I'm cognizant. How's that for a college word, you know? And uh, anyway, God had him there. But the transmission had hit me, slid from the back of the hatchback, and hit me in the back of the head. So they took me to the hospital. My wife didn't know if I was alive or dead. The, the senior pastor showed up at the doorstep, knocked on the door, and we were in an upstairs apartment. And she said, we're still sleeping. Uh, can you come back later? No, there's been an accident. He didn't know if we were dead or alive. So they came to the hospital, and for a couple of hours, they picked metal fragments out of the back of my head. 
So once again, stoned with something really, really hard. And now you're wondering, you know, how I can get up here and preach every week. But then when you hear some of the things that I do, you realize that there, is, there are issues with this cranium here. Then there was, I was the target. When I was in Buffalo, New York, I mean, we moved from Buffalo, New York to South Africa. And many of you know, some of you knew at three different times, I was a target. I had guns at my head and a hijacking and an armed robbery in our church and an armed robbery in a grocery store. Three separate occasions. My head was once again the target. Fortunately, they didn't hit me that time, but they did threaten to shoot me and kill me. And they killed the next guy that came into the grocery store. They shot him. He didn't die. Well, then the last one was on a trail. And we can say we're all on the trail of life. We're all in tug of wars. We all have got some kind of things in our life that are attacking us. And so... What happened, when I first got here, a couple of weeks after, I took a hike on a simple little easy trail up the road with my daughter, Rose, and uh, we got off the trail. The signs all said, stay on trail. You ever been there? We got off the trail. It wasn't dangerous, and I was trying to move from one rock to another and had my iPhone trying to take a picture, and I went to leap, and the rock was mossy and slippery, and I slipped in the 250 pounds of force hit face first without catching on a rock. And this is what I looked like shortly after that. Wasn't a pretty picture. Well, when we read about the stoning of Stephen and we read about Paul and all the apostles that got stoned and beat repeatedly, that picture is absolutely nothing compared to what it must have been like to literally be stoned. And the question this morning is this. As we talk about somebody who's willing to be stoned for Jesus, to give their life for Jesus, the question is this, what are you willing to die for? And what are you willing to live for? If you haven't got a good answer to that question, there's a good chance that you're wasting your life, and we don't want that for any of you. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we read this. Now, in these days, there were disciples, the disciples, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that this morning that from this message, from your word and your spirit... Lord, I pray that, that every one of us would go away from here and those watching online would leave their place wherever they are receiving this message. That we are determined that above everything else, 
that we have determined that we will not waste our life, but we will invest it in what matters. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we find in the very first verse that there arose the first complaint in the church. It's not unusual to find complaints in church, right? There's always complaints, and we often say when people come to our membership class, if you've come to our church because you've been hurt in another church, just hang on, you'll get hurt here too. Because we're humans. We're human people. And so here we got, now the church is going great. There's thousands of people. Probably at this point, at least 20,000 people have come to know Christ because we find that 5,000 men a couple chapters back had already come to Christ and then their families and all those with them. And after that, it said multitudes of people had come to know Christ. But there arose, the first problem arose within the church. There was a complaint. Now, they dealt with it right. They appointed leaders to take care of it because the pastor said, look, we've got to continue to study the scriptures. We've got to invest our life in prayer and in doing what God's called us to do. So they appointed people, just like we have leaders in our church, to do the different aspects of the ministry to free the pastor to do the right thing. So they handled the problem right. And Stephen, this man who had been appointed the first deacon in the church, he was full of grace and power, and he was doing wonders and signs among the people. So the work continued in spite of the complaints. But the question we want to ask ourselves firstly this morning is this. What or who are you fighting? What or who are you fighting? If you're fighting somebody in the church, if you're fighting against your spouse or the person you're dating or your children or your parents or your neighbors or your coworkers, you're fighting the wrong battle. Our two life groups are studying War Room. How many of you have seen the movie War Room? Remember Miss Clara in that movie? I love her. She says, your spouse is not your enemy. The devil is your enemy, and you don't need to be fighting with your spouse because you can never fight well. You don't fight. You fight your, your battles where? On your knees. Some of you are fighting battles right now with your mate, with your girlfriend, with your family, with people that should love you, but there's been this real blow up and you're fighting against them and you're angry and you're bitter this morning as we prayed by the way it's cool if you want to join us at 9 45 uh, in the mornings for prayer or 10 45 right 9 45 sorry 9 45 in the mornings we go all over this room through every chair and there were 30 people praying for you this morning that's a cool sight and i was praying that if there's anybody with bitterness in their heart that hears this message today that god would release them from that prison, as Pastor Brian spoke about last week. What are you fighting? Who are you fighting? Sometimes we, we fight the wrong enemy. The only enemy we have is the devil. Amen? He's our enemy. He's the enemy of God. So we've got to be careful who we're fighting. So I've got a video I want you to watch with this regard. And watch very carefully what's happening in this video. Two antelopes sparring with each other in the middle of a field. We see a Just wait, just wait. Just wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. Wow. Now, what were they fighting for? Now, I know the animal world, they may have been fighting for mating rights, which are pretty important. 
But they were fighting with each other. They were sparring with each other. And they missed the real enemy, the lion. What does the Bible say about the devil? The devil is as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. You have one enemy in this world, and he's the devil. Stop fighting with each other. Stop fighting in the church. Stop fighting with your mates. Stop fighting with your families and realize the real battle is against the evil one and God will fight that battle for you. Who or what are you fighting? I've determined this morning in my life, and I'm asking you to do the same thing, that I will fight for what matters. Would you write that down? We're talking about how to fight this morning, how to fight the right fight, how to not waste our life. I will fight for what matters. You know what gets me through the week every week? And I've got problems just like you do. Everybody's got problems. If you look at a family, you say, oh, they're the perfect model family. You haven't, you've only seen their highlight reel. You haven't seen their whole life. There's not a person in this building, there's not a person in the world that doesn't have serious problems and serious issues that they're fighting in battles that they're fighting. We're fighting battles. But I've determined that I'm going to fight for what matters. And what gets me through a week is when I get into the scriptures and it changes my perspective. I see that there's a God who sits in the heavens, who's watching, who sees. We're going to read about that in a minute. Who sees and who hears and who comes down to change and to free people from prison. There's a God in the heaven who cares for you and cares for me. And when I, what gets me through the week is knowing that God is watching. And that I can trust him no matter what. Now, you might be here this morning and you haven't learned to trust him yet. And we, we, bat, we saw someone baptized. We sang about no grave going to hold me down. And some of you, maybe you're not quite sure what that means yet. Today is a wonderful day to trust Jesus. Amen? Amen. And if you don't know him, I pray that you would know him so that you can get a perspective, an eternal perspective on what matters. I quoted 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour your children. He wants to devour your marriage. He wants to devour your finances. He wants to devour your relationship in the church. He wants to devour your service in the church because he wants to get something between you and somebody in the church that's going to keep you out and from doing what God wants you to do. You know what? If you hold something in your heart against someone, everything that they do, you see through that filter. And you'll never be happy with anything they do until you learn to forgive. we got to fight the right battles. we got to fight for what matters so that we can keep an eternal perspective. Look at Acts now, chapter 6, verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So now there's this, this public debate in a public place with a servant of God. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders of the scribes. They came and they came upon him and they seized him. That means violently. They seized him and brought him before the council. Verse 13. And they set up false witnesses, just like with Jesus, who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. 
Notice what they're worried about, the holy place, the law. For we, verse 14, have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at them, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, are these things so? All right, so a couple things to note here. These people, these religious people, these religious leaders were really not concerned about anybody's walk with Jesus. They were concerned about their customs, the dress code, the kind of music that they chose to sing in the church, their traditions. They were concerned about their laws. They weren't concerned about transformed lives. Now, we're here at this church. We're concerned about seeing God change our lives. We're concerned about that. But these religious leaders and some of the most religious people are some of the most great opponents to Christianity because they're focused on the wrong things. And so these people, they were looking at them. They were critical of them. They were wondering. And then the high priest looked him right in the eye, looked at Stephen and said, Are these things so? Are you going to destroy our customs? Are you going to destroy our laws? Are you going to get rid of the leadership? Are you going to change things up a little bit? And, and they're waiting with bated breath for a response. But look what we read in verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, these were the leaders. These were the movers and the shakers of the day. These were the people in power. These were the political and religious leaders. And they could not resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he answered them. So the first thing we're going to learn about, we learned about fighting is that I'm going to fight for what matters. I'm going to fight from an eternal vantage point, an eternal perspective. The second thing now I want you to write is this. I will fight with spirit wisdom. I will fight with spirit wisdom. I'm going to fight with the wisdom of God's spirit. When he speaks to your heart as a believer, you know it. When he speaks to his word and asks you to stop doing something or to start doing something, you know it. You know you do. But the Bible says that our consciences can become seared as with a hot iron, Paul said to Timothy. In other words, you, be, you can become desensitized to the Spirit of God. Not Stephen. Stephen walked with Jesus. His face in verse, uh, the last verse of chapter 6 says his face was like the face of an angel. Why? Well, remember Moses... Way back in the Old Testament, and this is Stephen in the New Testament. Back in the Old Testament, Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, right? And God spoke to him, and God was doing miraculous things up on the mountain. There was smoke and fire and lightning bolts and thunder. And remember what the people did down below? They said, we don't know about this Moses guy. He's forgotten about us. Would you build us, Aaron, a, a, an idol? We'll melt down all our earrings and make an hour. And they had an orgy there at the bottom of the hill. These religious people that didn't know Jesus. And here, they could not resist the wisdom of Stephen because like Moses, remember when he came down from the mountain and all these horrific things were going down below? And he walks down the mountain and he's got the tablets written with the finger of God in his hand. And what was happening with his face? It was, it was illuminated, right? He had this glow about him. Listen, when a person walks with Jesus... You know it. There's a glow about them. 
Not a weird kind of a glow, but a joy, a peace, a tranquility, a settled nature that says, I am good with my God. Stephen, when they looked at him, they couldn't resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke because he'd been with Jesus. He knew him, and he reflected his character like Jesus himself, remember? So Moses was coming down from the mountain. His face was shining. Remember, Jesus went up on the mountain with the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and the transfiguration took place. That's when the glory that was Jesus was holding in, in his human body, it began to eke out and ooze out and like lightning bolts and stuff started trans- coming out of him. And they were somehow just fascinated. And they said, let's just stay here forever. And he said, no, we got work to do down there. But now Stephen and Moses were just like Jesus. They were glowing because they'd been in his presence. Your wife, your husband, your children, your co-workers will know if you're walking with Jesus. So Stephen, he wanted to fight for what mattered. He wanted to fight with spirit wisdom. So now, all eyes are on Stephen. They're sitting at their high and mighty desk, and the high priest looks at him and says, are these things true? You're going to mess with our customs. You're going to mess with our religion. You're going to mess with our leadership structure. You're going to mess with our laws. You're going to mess with this stuff. And Stephen masterfully, and we're not going to read the whole passage because it's quite long, but he masterfully answers them by tracing the history of Israel. He says, okay, this nation was started when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called him to leave his country and his kindred and go to a place that God would show him. And then he says, he talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac. He talks about Jacob and the 12 sons of Israel that became the 12 nations of Israel. And then he talks about Joseph and all that he went through. He talks about Moses and how Moses, when he, his people, the Jewish people, were being persecuted, the babies were thrown to the river Much like in our day, the babies were thrown to their death. God delivered Moses by the hand of Pharaoh's daughter. She raises him after three weeks only in his own home, in his own Jewish home. He's raised in Egypt for 40 years. So he becomes a prince. And you can find out historically what happened by watching the prince of Egypt. (laughs) That cartoon. All right, so he was raised for 40 years. Then, one day he goes to visit his Jewish brothers, and he sees them being tortured. And he gets really upset about it. And he intervenes, and in intervening, he kills a guy, then covers him in the sand and walks away. The next day, he sees two of his Hebrew brothers fighting with each other, and he tries to break them up. And they said, who are you? You're not our judge. Are you going to kill us? Like you killed that dude yesterday, and all of a sudden he realizes the cat's out of the bag. So he runs, and he runs to the backside of Midian, and he becomes a shepherd, and he marries. And for 40 years, he's now on the backside of the desert. 40 years as a prince, 40 years as a shepherd. God's preparing him for the last 40 years of his life when he would lead the children of Israel. So now we're going to pick up the reading here in in chapter 7, verse 30, when he's talking about Moses and what happened now with all the leaders before Moses, the, Moses and the leaders after Moses, how these leaders are looking at him and saying, are you going to mess with what's happening with our tradition? And he upsets the apple cart by saying, you guys have never listened to God. You've never listened to what he had to say. Pick up the reading in verse 30. 
Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai and the flame and the fire of the bush. Remember the burning bush. You can see that in Blazing Saddles. Okay, verse 31. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet. For the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Notice this pattern. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. I've seen, I've heard, I'm coming down. And now, come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Verse 36. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. Verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation of the wilderness with the angel who spoke with him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles, that is, words from God. He received living oracles to give it to us. Our fathers refused to obey, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, astrology. As it is written in the book of prophets, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness? Oh, house of Israel, you took up the tent of Moloch, of false gods, and of the star of the god of Rephan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Verse 44. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, the, the tabernacle, the tent that they moved around with God's presence there. Just as he who spoke to Moses directed me to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Verse 45. Our fathers, in turn, brought it out with Joshua, when they dispossessed the nations of God and drove out before the Father. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place and the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Verse 51. Now listen, he nails them. They're looking him in the eye. He looks him straight back with great boldness and the spirit of God upon him. And he says this, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Underline that in your Bible. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so did you. Which of the prophets did your fathers persecu not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one 
whom you have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Harsh words. He looks at these people and they say, you're messing with our customs. You're messing with our laws. You're messing with our building. We heard that you're going to destroy this temple, which he had probably quoted Jesus when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What was he talking about? His body. But they manipulated that story. And they said, now you're going to destroy all of our things. And he says, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me give you a history lesson. All the way back from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph into Egypt, Moses, all of the, through that. And then David comes along. And God, they have this tabernacle. And then they build a temple by Solomon. And Solomon, all these people come. You haven't listened to what God said one time. You didn't listen to his prophets. You abused his buildings. Yes. And he, what they didn't know, what Stephen didn't know at this point in just a few years all the temples would be destroyed. Rome would be destroyed and raised and burned. But Stephen says, yes, God wants to do something with your stiff and hardened hearts. You've never once listened. But Stephen, he knew how to fight. He knew who the enemy was. He knew the enemy was not them even. The enemy was the wicked one. And so he learned to fight from a position of surrender. Would you write this down? I will fight from a position of surrender. In fact, we're going to sing a song in a little while. This is how I fight my battles. And it's on my knees, right? We fight our battles on our knees. This is how we fight. We stop fighting each other. We surrender to Christ for victory. Listen, there's a lot of people here today and a lot of people watching this message who have never yet surrendered to Jesus Christ. You've been religious. You've been in the right buildings. You've had some good customs. You've had some good traditions. You maybe even joined a church or sprinkled as a baby or baptized as an adult, but you've never come into right relationship with Jesus Christ. And Stephen says, you Need Jesus is what he says. And you need, to, if you want to really win in this life, you got to come from a position of surrender. Have you ever come in a pl to a place in your life where you surrendered to the Spirit of God and to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, believing that He died on the cross for you? That he was buried in a grave to prove that he was literally dead. Pronounced dead by an, ex an expert in death. And three days later he rose from the grave. And for 40 days he walked around the earth. And over 500 eyewitnesses saw him. He's the only one that predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. Jesus Christ. And just like these religious people, there's a lot of people in churches who've never met Jesus. And your face doesn't shine like Stephen. And you're full of bitterness and angst and anger. And, and your life is not peaceful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And it goes on. Patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. And that's never been a part of your life. The only way to truly fight is from a position of surrender to God. God brought you here today for a reason. Just like he, the leaders thought that they brought Stephen before them, but really God brought them before God's man to hear God's word. And they heard, 
But their response was not a good one. We've learned from Stephen that we're going to fight for what matters. We're going to fight with spirit wisdom. We're going to fight from a position of surrender. Now look at verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. You get this? Here it is. Ah! Sorry. Some of you were sleeping and I woke you up. (laughs) Statistics prove that if everybody that slept in church were placed end-to-end in the pews... It would be more comfortable. So, sorry to wake you. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth. How many of you grind your teeth at night and leave something in your mouth to stop doing that? All right, all right. All right. I probably need it. They ground their teeth at him. They were enraged. They ground their teeth. Now, here's a contrast between a person who knows Jesus and a person who hates Jesus. But he, Stephen, Full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He's usually seated at the right hand, the Bible says. But he's standing to receive Stephen, who had invested his life. He didn't waste his life. He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened. And the Son of Man, the guy that you put to death, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. But they cried out with a loud voice. Ah! Ah! They're just absolutely berserk. They cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. This is what they did literally. Like a bunch of little children throwing a tantrum. No, we don't want to hear it. No, 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 no. And they rushed him. It was a mob. I've been in a mob a few times in different cultures where I, I was a, a minority and where I was not the guy that lived there. And they weren't after me, but it was a scary thing in a mob. And so we read over these words and we think lightly of what happened. But no, here's this man of God preaching the word of God, doing the work of God, serving God with all of his heart. And these people hate him. We should not be surprised when people hate us. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him in verse 58. Then they cast him out of the city. That means with violence. About to rip him apart. And they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We're going to read about him a little later. He has a little episode and encounter with Jesus himself. And his world was rocked. Verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen... He called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, a different loud voice from the crazy people, from the angry, bitter people. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, that's a euphemism for death. But for the Christian, death is just a transition into heaven. For a person who doesn't know Jesus, death is also a transition. It's a doorway. It's a pathway into hell. Here was a man at the peak of his life, a young man who knew early that he wanted to invest his life, who fought from a position of surrender, who had a spirit of wisdom, who fought for what mattered. And he decided, and this is number four in the way we fight, 
in order not to waste our lives. I will fight in grace to death. Write it down. I will fight in grace to death. He wasn't angry. There were people that hated him. They were literally stoning him. That picture that I sent you of me, that's nothing compared to what it must have happened with Stephen. They were pelting him with these huge stones and he was taking licks left and right until the one finally, the one blow finally took the breath out of him and took his life. And then they kept piling it on until all life and probably he was buried in a pile of stones. He was willing to fight in grace to death. Now, some of you are Christians, and you're, not, you're fighting, but you're not fighting the right battle. You're not fighting the right person. You're not fighting from a position of surrender. You're not fighting to death in grace, but you're fighting in anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. And you've forgotten who the enemy is. I will fight in grace to death to the death. Christians are fighting from victory, not for victory. Jesus secured our victory. Amen? When we're fighting from a vantage point of victory, we're not fighting for victory. Our victory is that we treasure Christ in a way that exposes the world as unsatisfying. The world is unsatisfying. We asked the question at the beginning, how many of you have been stoned? Some of you have been stoned many times. It was never satisfying. Some of you made lots of money. Never satisfied you. Some of you got lots more stuff. It's never satisfied you. So how do we fight to the death, fight from a position of surrender, fight with wisdom, fight for what matters? How do we not waste our lives? Those are some ideas. Here's some others. Life on life discipleship. Grow in Christ in such a way that they cannot resist the wisdom and the spirit by which you speak because you've been with Jesus. Scale down. Scale down what you have. Don't spend all your energy on things that don't matter. Clutter. Uh, my wife reads this uh, article about clutter and decluttering our lives and being orderly. And she read to me some of this last night. I thought it was really good. You may be unaware of the high cost associated with having too many possessions. Not only is clutter visually distracting, but it can contribute to feelings of depression and anxiety, which can increase your health care cost. In addition to the initial purchase cost, clutter can lead to increased cost to store and care for items you don't really use or need. It's also easy to fall into the trap of keeping the possessions of loved ones that have passed on. Perhaps you hang on to things long past their usefulness because you're afraid of wasting a resource. Regardless of the reasons why you accumulate extra possessions, eliminating clutter can reduce cost and increase your health and savings. I hope you find these tips helpful in reducing clutter in your home. Scale down. Declutter. Get eternal perspective by being in the Word of God every day. Grab an eternal perspective. Value people above possessions and things and success. These are ideas on how to fight the right battle and not to waste our life. I heard a comedian, some of you might, you might want to Google him this week. He's really funny. He's an African-American comedian named Michael Jr. He was actually in that movie War Room. He was the friend in the gym that was giving him advice. And Michael Jr., he said he, he, said he had kind of a, he didn't use the word epiphany, but he had this like, 
light bulb experience where instead of, he, he realized that he needed, instead of trying to get laughs from his audience, that he wanted to learn to give laughs. It's a total paradigm shift. If you want to fight for what really matters and not waste your life, stop asking, what can I get out of this? And start asking God, what can I give in this? What can I give to people? How can I give? How can I serve? There's whole YouTube channels devoted to people, just watching people go out and buy stuff and how they use it. It's so, we're so narcissistic as a society. We're so in love with ourselves. Thankfulness. I read a quote that said this. No amount of regret can erase the past. No amount of anxiety can change your future. But any amount of gratefulness can change your present. Learn to fight the right fight. Don't waste your life. View from a position of victory, not for victory. Decisions become easier when we're more concerned about pleasing God than we are about pleasing the world and people. I wrestle with that as a pastor. I want to teach the truth. But I do want people to like me. And I have to give that to God and say, God, your will is more important than people liking me. Decisions become easier when your will to please God outweighs your will to please the world. As a next step today, would you write this down? Will you invest your life in what matters? Will you invest your life in what matters? And if you will, say, I will. Will you invest your life in what matters? The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. No amount of sexual pleasure can satisfy the deep need of your soul. No amount of goods can satisfy the deep need of your soul. No amount of drugs can satisfy the deep need of your soul. No amount of success can satisfy the deep need of your soul. But you know who can is Jesus. There's somebody here today, I believe, who needs to receive Christ today. You've been waiting long enough. And today is the day of your salvation. And if that's you, would you pray something like this? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me, was buried and rose again, and is coming back for all who believe in him. I turn from my sin, Lord. I, I can't fix it myself. I've tried before. But I turn away from it, and, I, and Lord, I ask you to come in and save me, and you fix me. Lord, make me a new person. Give me the gift of eternal life. If you prayed that prayer right where you sit, even at home, we can't see you, but raise your hand. God will say, would you raise your hand today? Anybody pray this morning to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, like we heard the testimony of Autumn when she was baptized. Anybody at all today, you made the decision to cross over from unbelief to belief and you trusted Christ. Anybody at all? If you want to talk to somebody about that, our care team will be in the hallway to your left. They will take you apart, uh, aside and they will talk to you about how to receive Christ. We even have clothes here. We can baptize you if you wanted to get saved and get baptized in the same day. I want to talk to the Christians for one minute. Listen, don't believe the lies of the devil. 
Stop fighting people. Stop fighting your mates. Stop fighting God. And stop, start fighting the devil on your knees before God. And say to God, and, and I want us to all say it together in a minute, that I will not waste my life. Some of you are in retirement age or facing retirement age. It's the greatest time in the world for you to take that time that now you've been freed up. Maybe you're independently wealthy or you've got a check and you don't have to go to work every day. Now's the best time of your life just to set aside the rest of your life to serve God, to get involved, to get vested and get invested. People, young people facing college, now is a great time to invest your life and say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Those of you who are getting relocated or maybe replaced at Lowe's, now is a great time to say to God, God, I will do what you want me to do. I will not waste my life. So I want us to say it together as a church, as a family, as a family of God, I will not waste my life. Would you say it with me? I will not waste my life. Say it one more time. I will not waste my life. One more time. I will not waste my life. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I pray that today we would do what we'd be glad we've done when we stand before you in eternity. And that anyone here without Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation. And that, Lord, we would not waste even one minute of this life that is precious that you have given us. But that we would invest it in eternal matters. The greatest use for one's life is to spend it on something that will outlast it. So Lord, help us to invest our lives as a church, as a family, as your people, as men, as women, as teenagers and boys and girls. Lord, help us to invest our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing about how we fight our battles on our knees?